Mr. Winter still seemed far off. Then he saw the head waiter bending and nodding to the fat German. And someone else was coming in, a tall, distinguished-looking man. The head waiter intercepted him, bowed him to a table, and then snapped his fingers at Genghis once more. Genghis set down the sandwiches and took his time over opening the bottle. Then he gave the big Englishman all his attention until the rotgut had been tasted, allowing himself additional time then to smile at the plain Englishwoman as he filled her glass, if only to annoy the head waiter. And anyway, apart from smelling good, she had a fine pair of boobs under this string of pearls. Thank you, madam. Sir. The gentleman at table five, you idiot, the head waiter hissed in his ear. What are you playing at? It wasn't ready, his order. He saw the distinguished-looking man look round over his menu. He would be the one. Don't bandy words with me. Get moving. Again the doors. Again the policeman. If he only knew. This time a heavily loaded tray with the additional beers the fat German had ordered earlier, about which he had clean forgotten. He balanced it expertly but then waited until Otto and Dieter, who had not been far behind him, came in for their orders. Otto, he remembered, had been providing the Arab with his third cup of coffee, but not being a dumb Turk, he wouldn't have noticed anything, of course. Into the sunlight again, with everything as busily normal as before, the pigs all at their troughs, feeding their faces as though their lives depended on it, all except the Pole, who was still sweating, and the Arab, who was still not really reading his newspaper, and the sailboats on the lake behind. And inevitably, the head waiter gesticulating at him. He began to weave through the tables. The money man buyer was still there, studying his menu, so he hadn't seen anything. But Genghis had to hand it to the cops there, the clever swine. There wasn't a uniform inside or a suspicious car outside to be seen. They knew their business all too well, the drug squad, evidently. Then he swore under his breath as the big Englishman got up, pushing back his chair and blocking his chosen route, so that he had to swing to his left, only to find that avenue blocked by the head waiter himself. And of course, he wouldn't give ground to make things easier, any more than the damned Englishman. No one ever cared for waiters. He rerouted himself automatically, pirouetting on paper-thin leather through which he could feel the unevenness of the terrace flagstones. But now the woman was also moving, damn her, not getting up, but pushing her chair back in order to keep her eye on her partner. With a face like that, perhaps she was used to him straying. He coughed politely and began to squeeze past. But as he did so, the Englishman came into sight again. What? He was heading for the pole. And he saw the Arab get up, and simultaneously the Englishwoman began to move, pushing him, almost unbalancing him. What? Suddenly the Englishwoman went mad, and his ankle caught on something, so that the tray began to escape from his control. He had only a fraction of a second to catch up with it, or else... What? Nothing mattered but the tray. The Englishwoman was either mad or drunk what she was doing, and glass and crockery was crashing, 
and the Englishman tripping up, and someone was shouting. But it was the tray that mattered. No one saw Genghis's amazing recovery, his gravity-defying swoop down and up, and the triumph of speed over impetus which caught up with and corrected the unbalance of his burden, so triumphantly against all the odds, above Table 5. Or if anyone did, the next moment obliterated the image, as the Vierfassungsschutz marksman opened fire, because then Genghis did finally drop the tray. Part 1. A Walk in the Sun Chapter 1. They were waiting for him at Heathrow. They took him off the plane ahead of everyone else, like a king or a criminal. Dr. Audley, would you come this way, please, sir?